Shabbat Shalom. Can everyone hear me now? This week's parasha is parasha Ki Tavo, which is near the end of the yearly Torah cycle. It's the 50th of 54 portions covering Deuteronomy 26, chapter 26, verse 1, to chapter 29, verse 8. Ki Tavo means when you enter, and it's referring to Moses' continued instructions to Bnei Israel on how to live in the land when they enter into the dwelling. Ki Tavo presents two basic themes. First fruits is number one, and tithes, and the second is blessings and curses. The first point that Amrai establishes is in the very first verse, is that the land of Israel is entering is an inheritance from Adonai. An inheritance is something that is not earned, but is bestowed, and the only entity that can take it back to the bestower. The significance of this inheritance of land to Bnei Israel is that Hashem is the bestower, and in Genesis 17:8 he tells Abraham, I will give you to you and your seed after you the land where you are an outsider, the whole land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. After entering the land, Israel is asked to bring the first fruits of their produce and baskets to the temple, or wherever Adonai chooses to make his name dwell, and give it to Kohanim. The rabbis believe that this mitzvah of the Kareem, first fruits, specifically applies to the seven spices which Israel is famous wheat, barley, dates, figs, uh, pomegranates, and olives. Also, in the manner of rabbis, some say that the tree that produces the fruit must entirely physically exist inside Israel. If one branch hangs over the boundary of another land, then the produce can't be considered as being from the land of Israel. Torah doesn't go so far as to say that, but we know that when the baskets are presented, each presenter has to recount the Exodus story starting with Abraham. My father was a wandering Aramean who went down to Egypt and lived there as an outsider, few in number. This phrase, of course, is familiar to us as we recite it from the Pesach Takada. The narrative continues with the hardship of Israel and Jordan in Egypt, but then how God brought them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and brought them to this inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. In recognition of all the good that Hashem has done, each individual has therefore brought his or her basket, and Israel is commanded to worship him and rejoice in his provision. The sages also extend this concept of first fruits to include all things we do for the sake of Adonai. When we feed the hungry, it should be the best of what we have. And when we give clothes, it should be from the best clothes that we have, and so forth. During temple times, the farmers were also required to bring several tithes at different times in the three-year cycle. The main purpose of the tithes was to ensure that everyone, even the least in society, was provided for. The Levites were having land inheritance, the outsider, the orphan, and the widow. The farmers were also to declare that they had not cheated on their tithe, and they would ask Adonai to bless Israel on the land. At the end of these instructions, Moses makes a series of affirmations that today Adonai has commanded Bnei Israel to do all his statutes and ordinances with all their heart and soul. That Bnei Israel has affirmed Adonai as their God and agreed to walk in his ways. In return, God affirms that Israel is his people, and he will lift them high above the nations, and they are to be a holy people. This brings us to the other main theme of blessing and curses, which covers all of chapters 27 and 28. Back in Parashat A in Deuteronomy 11, 26-28, God tells Israel, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the mitzvot of Adonai your God, that I am commanding you today. But the curse, if you do not listen to the mitzvot of Adonai your God, but turn from the way I am commanding you today to go after other gods you have not known. Now, when Adonai your God brings you into the land that you are going to possess, you are to set the blessing on Mount Gerasim and the curse on Mount Ebal. In Kitabo, Moses returns to that theme. 
The ladies were able to when they crossed over the Jordan, they had a set of large stones that have never had an iron tool applied to them. The stones will be covered with plaster, and the Torah will be written on them. Stones will be set up before the two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Now, why these two mountains? Well, Jewish commentators say that they are on either side of Shechem, Abraham's first stop in Canaan. The summits of the mountains are about two miles apart, and Gerizim is said to have lots of green green gardens, while Ebal is barren and desolate. If so, they are a sort of illustration of blessing and cursing. Torah says that six tribes will stand on Mount Gerizim to pronounce blessings, and the other six will stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. According to the Mishnah, the six tribes on Gerizim were Shimon, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, represented by Ephraim and Manasseh, and Benjamin. The six tribes on Ebal were Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Kohenim and Levites will stand below them in the center of the Holy Ark in the midst. The Levites will first turn the Levites will first turn the face toward Gerizim and proclaim a blessing, to which Israel would respond, Amen. Then the Israelites would turn their face to Ebal to proclaim a curse, to which Israel again would respond, Amen. The Levites would thus alternate between blessings and curses, until all the blessings and curses were completed. Even though Torah always uses the phrase blessings and curses, the way these pronouncements are laid out in Kitab Bo, first there are a set of twelve curses of one kind, and then there are a set of blessings which will listen obediently to the voice of Adonai and do all of his mitzvot, followed by a second set of corresponding curses if they don't. The first set of curses seem random, but essentially do with actions that are an offense to God, an offense to one's neighbor, moral and sexual offenses, and offenses done in secret. The offense to God is idolatry, making a pilgrimage, with the added offense of setting it up in secret. The offense to one's neighbor involves not honoring your father or mother, moving your neighbor's boundary line, this leading a blind person, twisting justice for the weaker in society such as the outsider, widow, and orphan, and taking a bribe to strike down an innocent life. The moral and sexual offenses are some of the same ones that listed in the Leviticus 18 and 20. A, a final secret offense is striking down one's neighbor in secret. The pointing out of a wrong done in secret seems to suggest that God wants integrity in his people. When we do wrong in secret, we still adversely affecting the whole community, even if the community is not aware of the particular wrongdoing. The twelve curses. Curses is the one who does not uphold the words of the Torah by doing them, and all the people are to say, Amen. We then move to the blessings. They can be summed up in one word, prosperity. If Israel would keep our blessings close, they would be blessed in every way, in our food, prosperous flocks and herds, rain and season, health and wealth, and triumph over their enemies. These blessings occupy 14 verses. The next 53 verses outline the curses that would result if Israel does not obey the instructions of Adam. They are the opposite of the blessings, but, but uh, more of them are much worse. There is an added reference to the oppression of enemies and the dire conditions that would ensue because of sieges, the lack of food, and so on. The basic message is that there is no downside to obeying one eye, and no upside to disobeying them. In fact, running all through this portion and others, the constant reminder to keep our statutes and commandments because it brings blessings, whereas disobedience does not. Parashat Kitabo ends with a reminder and renewal of the covenant made with B'nai Israel and Torah. The covenant is renewed here at Moab, because this generation where their babies are not born when Israel was brought out of Egypt, and therefore they did not experience all the two young to remember, the giving of Torah and Son, also known as the Lord. Moses reminds them that Hashem took care of their physical needs in the wilderness, gave them victory over their enemies, and gave them the land east of the Jordan. Moses concludes by saying that in light of all of God's goodness, he, Moses, urges them to keep the words of the covenant and do them, so that they may prosper in all that you do. I will be joined in the end of the 
uh, in chapter 29, verses 1 to 4, or 2 to 5, depending on your translation. And Moses says something pivotal in verse 3, which is that God has not given in Israel a heart to know, eyes to see, nor ears to hear, to that very day, after they've been wandering for 40 years. Some translate this as, until this very day, indicating that after 40 years, perhaps now they could understand the lessons of that 40 years. Either way, after this 40-year process, it was time for the nation to enter the land. And we are all on our own journeys where God works his own process with us. So let us pray that we get hearts to know, eyes to see, and ears to hear. And also we are patient in this process. Apparently, it takes a minimum of 40 years. Thank <laughs> you.